Man, the music's always good, but wasn't it particularly good this morning? Amen. Now, I know some of you are thinking during the announcements that I forgot to mention the men's breakfast that's coming up this Sunday. And that's not true. I actually remember this men's breakfast, but I'm going to use it as a part of my introduction to my message this morning. Because what we're going to start talking about, and we have um, a special guest speaker that's going to be coming in and, and who really has been thinking through and teaching men about this across New England for, for decades. Um, we're going to be talking about the question of, of how do we really fulfill Paul's challenge to us about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, we would usually think that that is an easy issue, right? But there's this one issue that I think almost all of us recognize, is that there seems to be a difference between men and women. And, it, and it sometimes you make this wonderful relationship that we call marriage an interesting journey, right? I mean, most of us go into marriage and we think, I can get married because I want to be happy. But God has this wonderful agenda of trying to use our marriages to make us holy, okay? And sometimes those two things take a long time to get in alignment with one another, right? And, and there's just differences between men and women. Let me give you an example. This is a frivolous one. But to me, it, it just... How many of you... You, you go to the McDonald's drive through right? And there's a big sign that says, $1 for any size coffee, right? So I'm thinking I'm going to get the extra, extra, extra large, right? Costs no more than the small, costs no more than the medium, costs no more than the large. I'm going to get the biggie size. So say, give me the biggest coffee you got, right? And then your wife leans forward and yells through the window to the thing, says, I'll have a small, a small, why would you order a small? They're all a dollar, you know? And, and, and it's, it's just those little things. Because the only thing a guy, he's not worried about thinking about the size. The only thing he's worried about is, why don't they do that with French fries? I mean, every size of French fries ought to be the same price. I mean, that's what we're thinking, right? And a small, you know, and, and there's just differences between us. Now, how do you get from that to my sermon, right? That's what you're thinking now. We've been talking about how do we biggie size. There we go. There's the connection. How do we biggie size our relationship with God? You know, we started this a few weeks ago with the idea that, that God promises to overflow our cup, right? He's just going to biggie size it. He's trying to pour all of himself into us that we can possibly hold. Part of our issues is that sometimes that love, that presence of God, leaks out all over the place. And we, we talked about how to put a stop on those leaks. Stop the love loss. Then we began to ask the question, well, what is it that we're really asking God for? If, if God's going to start to fill us up and we're going to be brimming over with all of the presence of God, what is that really going to look like for us? Because sometimes our resistance to having that happen in our lives is that we're looking for one thing and God's actually giving or desires to give us something different. Sometimes we want God to give us the life that we want, but God's trying to give us the life that he wants for us. So as we get that alignment begun, God begins to pour himself into us and lo and behold, our hearts begin to be changed so that our hearts begin to beat with the heart of Christ. Our lives are compelled by Christ's love. It's Christ's heart that's beating within us. And as we 
as that begins to happen, there's a certain passion that God's going to lay on your life and he's going to lay on my life and he's going to lay on our lives together. Part of that is, is that we, in addition to the many other things, part of it is that we are going to embrace, we're going to experience, we're going to come to, to incarnate, if you will, the passion of God to reach people with his grace. Jesus came, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so we're going to be committed to reaching people. We talked about that last week, and that's why we have this banner up on our stage. Now, for us here at Hope Chapel, the way we're defined, this is anything that we do as a church to try to get people from their house to God's house. Primarily, we do that through we as individuals living in our world, living in our neighborhoods, interacting with the people that we buy gas from, and et cetera. We, we do it through just our, our individual ministry inviting people to connect with the people of God. Sometimes we do it collectively. We hold harvest parties and vacation Bible schools and we have the power team come or whatever. We, there's all kinds of different ways that we try to reach out and connect, but we become captivated with reaching people for Christ. Today we're going to talk about a different issue. You know, Christ, t- take it, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 with me, would you? Matthew chapter 18, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 831. It is clear when you look at the overall message of the New Testament that what really laid on the heart of Christ was to establish and to build his church. Everything that he did when he entered into his earthly ministry was designed to build a core community that could carry on his message for eternity until he came back. His selection of the disciples, his investment in the disciples, his building of the 120 and the others around him, all that was structured on getting them to a place where they could really be the church, that they would be gathered together, connected to him, connected to each other, and with that, God would be able to work through them to change the world. In Matthew chapter 18, we find Jesus in a season where he's talking to his disciples about the church and what the church is going to be like. A couple chapters earlier, in chapter 16, they've been in an area known as Caesarea Philippi. In many ways, it was, it was one of the like a retreat setting. There's, there's a very active spring. It creates a huge river. It's lush grounds. Even today, Israelis go there just to, to have picnics or whatever because it's a beautiful area. And he withdraws from the commotion. He goes out to this retreat center. As they have some time kind of set aside, he asks his disciples, well, who, who, who do you say that I am? Who, what are the people saying? Who do you say I am? And Peter confesses for the disciples, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus said, that's it. That's the kind of faith upon which I am going to build my church. His passion is to build his church, to grow it up. The teaching continues on, and we see that his passion to grow. Literally moments after the church is born in Acts chapter 2, the people are gathering together in community. They're connected to one another. 
And you can see this growth. He talks that the description of the church is as a, as a body of Christ, and we're all members of one another. His, Jesus' passion is to draw his people into community where they can reflect and fulfill and, and be his presence in the world. That, that's Jesus' passion. You know, he, his ministry was about creating a spiritual community that was connected to one another that could represent him in the world. And I got to tell you, there, in many ways, I wish he had drawn me to one of those texts, like 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12, where he's talking about the body of Christ and being members of one another's, and you got the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and all those kinds of things. But he really has drawn me to a text that, that's a challenging text for us, but he's really, really kind of grabbing onto me with, with a particular idea that I, I, I want to kind of get at the word within the word today for us. You know, so as you're trying to fill out your... your your outlines here. Jesus has called us to be a redemptive community. But let me let you in on the, the inner secret, okay? It says, it's in this context that Jesus, of being a redemptive community that Jesus promises us a special allotment of his presence in order to make it come to pass. And I want you to see that from this text as we go forward. So as we talk about reaching, this is everything that we do to get people from their house to God's house, from their front door to God's front door. What we do in connecting is try to take strangers and make them siblings, make them brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's the passion of Christ. And I want you to see why that's the passion of Christ from this passage of Scripture. Now, there's been some stuff going on before and after this, okay? So let's talk a little bit about it in context, and then I'll read these verses for you from 15 to 20. You know, they've had the confession of Christ, Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus has been transfigured. Then he's begun to speak a little bit more clearly about what's coming up in terms of his death on the cross and what that means for salvation and how they're going to respond to it and, the, and what's going to happen afterwards. And, and all of that prompts them to say, listen, we don't, we're not sure we really understand what you're talking about, but we know something. Something's about ready to change. And here's our number one question. How is it that you and I, how is it that we can be successful in whatever is to come, whatever you're bringing? What, what, who is greatest in the kingdom? What does it take to be successful in the kingdom? Now, there's probably a lot of ego and pride and they're wanting to get ahead and all that kind of stuff, but, but Jesus picks up a child and he sets him down in his midst. And now, children were, in this day, they were designed to be seen but not heard, okay? They were prized, but only when they got to a certain age, right, kind of idea. So Jesus takes a child and he puts him in his midst and says, you become like this child, like any child. Then you'll be great in the kingdom of God. And they're scratching their heads, but he's not done yet. Then he, somehow or another, he goes on to, and, and, and I think some ways here, Matthew is pulling some different pieces of a longer dialogue together. But from that, he goes on to talking about, hum, from humility, to talking about stumbling blocks. If you look in the passage of Scripture, he talks about stumbling blocks. He says, you know, in the world, you're going to experience a lot of stumbling blocks, okay? Woe to the ones who bring them to you especially into the lives of these children. But I got to tell you, you got to be ready for stumbling blocks and you have to value the future more than the present, so much so that, hey, if you've got a relationship, if you've got a career, if you've got a habit or a hobby that is spiritually destructive, 
just like you would get rid of your, your hand in order to be able to get into the kingdom hole, you've got to be ready to, ready to get rid of that stuff so that you can move into the kingdom with a full heart. And then he begins to move on into the issue of forgiveness. But in the midst of all of this, we have this passage of Scripture. He says, verse 15, 831 in your Matthew chapter 18. So if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, it's verse 20 that's got me troubled, okay? Because I thought God was always with us, right? Whether you're climbing a trail on the top of a mountain all by yourself, whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death all by yourself, God said he's with you, right? There's no place you can go from his presence. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He didn't say, I'm with you as long as you're with a couple of other Christians all the time until the end of the age. He didn't say that. So what is it, how is it that he is present when two or three are gathered together? There, and there he is in the midst of it. And how does that fit into this context? And, and what does that have to do with being connected and helping people connect to the body? Well, let's see if I can make any sense out of this to you. I got a few minutes to do that. Now, this is the passage about church restoration. A lot of times we want to come at this and we say this is a passage about church discipline. You, you do not find in the New Testament a spirit for the church to be punitive. The church is never out to extract its, its ounce of blood, if you will, its, its pound of flesh. Never the agenda. The agenda always is to restore people. And so we see in this context that Jesus is offering some instructions on how to restore people to the fellowship. See, one of the things about church life is that even though we are all completely forgiven, (laughs) we're not completely perfect yet, right? And I guarantee you, you hang around church long enough, you'll find somebody who's going to annoy you. You hang around church long enough, you're going to find somebody who's going to break a promise to you. You hang around church long enough, you're going to find somebody who's going to lie to you or mislead you. You're not going to be able to depend upon them. That's the kind of stuff's going to happen because we're, we're just not perfect, okay? And, and maybe if you, many of you have been there. I, I, I have met along the way many people who say that they are followers of Christ, but they've given up on the church because of the people, right? I mean, you know some people like that. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites and this and that. You know, I got really hurt there. They got all kinds of reasons, right? Some of that stuff is well-deserved criticism because we ain't perfect. I often kid that, you know, if Hope Chapel could just get a decent pastor, it could really go places, you know. 
And I know more about that story than you do, you know, and I'm not really lying about that, you know, because I'm not perfect. Neither are you perfect. So in that context, what do you do when something happens? Now, what we want to say is, well, you know, she hurt me, so she should have to come to me and apologize. So I'm just going to sit right here and I'm going to stew until she comes. There's only one problem with that. If she's caught in a sin, lying, selfishness, pride, bitterness, just critical spirit, whatever, she's caught in a sin, she, she's already got a barrier to be able to hear it from God, right? So supposedly I've got a clearer line of, clearer line of communication to God because I haven't done anything wrong. So he says, you who are in a better spiritual position, you go to your brother or your sister, and you say, you're off track here a little bit. And notice it says, go by yourself first, trying to keep the circle of the offended as small as possible. Often in church life, what we want to do is we want to tell everybody else before we ever go talk to the person. In fact, we want them, we want somebody else to go talk to them instead of for us. And often we can be very spiritual about this. It's like, well, I don't know what to do about this situation. Can you give me some advice? Because so-and-so did this, 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 and this, and this, you know? And it sounds really spiritual, but I got to tell you, there's not a lot of wiggle room in this passage of Scripture, is there? It's not like, say, well, go ask 12 other people about what you should do and then go by yourself. It just says, if somebody's done something against you, you go to them. Why? Because the church is committed to being a redemptive community. That doesn't work. Take a couple of other people. And it's building off of some stuff here out of Leviticus where you don't want anybody to be kind of escalating the level of, of a sense of, of restoration or discipline just because he, he said against she said kind of thing. So you get a couple of other people who are spiritually minded who go with you as a team with a heart to restore the person to the position that they should be in. When that doesn't work, you take them to the church. To tell the truth, it doesn't say what that looks like. Does that mean you drag them up here and change at the altar at the end of the service? I don't know what that looks like. It doesn't tell us what it looks like. I wish it would tell us what it looks like. It doesn't. But somehow or another, you let a larger part of the body say, this person is not responding to the Spirit's conviction in their life to change what's wrong. And if none of that works, then you really need to just back up and say, you know what, we've got to start over with you. We've got to look at you as an unbeliever. You're just like the Gentiles. You're just like the tax cabinet. We're not going to start with the assumption that you have the presence of Christ within you. We're going to relate to you as somebody who does not have faith in Christ, and we're just going to start all over again. Now, I think in this context, what Jesus is saying is that that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to do. So let me tell you something. When you gather together and you try to create a redemptive community, I'm going to be there in an extra special way. I'm with you all the time. But when you gather together, with two or three are gathered together in a spirit of really trying to create a grace-filled community, I'm going to be there in an extra special way. As you connect together, trying to create a redemptive community, a grace-filled community, a place where we really do embrace the people's future, their lives are governed by their futures, not by their past. When we do, when we, Jesus promises, I'm going to show up in an extra special way. Now, here's what I want you to see from this text. There's some things that happen when Jesus shows up in this extra special way. And, and I've given you three things here. Some of the wonderful overflows of being connected together in a community that's trying to be this redemptive, grace-filled, mercy-driven 
representation of Christ in the world. One of the things that's going to happen is that we're going to be able to clearly act with the will of God or on the will of God. Well, where do you get that, Pastor? Look at verse 18. Now, this is a tough passage to understand, but I got to tell you, when you get it, it's really a cool thing, and I tell you what, it brings a great deal of assurance to us. Jesus says, I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. He said the same thing back in, in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus has his confession, Peter has his confession that you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, you know, Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Same kind of idea. Now, in the Jewish context, they, they understood this as, as, the, as the, the community came to the word and, and tried to interpret the law that whatever they permitted or whatever they prohibited was backed up by God. So you can do this, but you can't do that. And that's God's will kind of idea. I got to tell you, I think what Jesus is saying, when you gather together in community, and I'm in this, there in the special presence, and, and, and you guys are trying to be this grace-filled community that's mercifully dealing with people and trying to bring them back, keep them on the walk, the journey, the, faith, the journey of faith in Christ. When you're trying to do all that stuff, I got to tell you, you're going to be able to, you're going to have such a clear buy-in to what's right in the eyes of God in these circumstances that when you take action to forgive or not to forgive, to reconcile or not to reconcile, you're going to be able to see exactly what it is that God's already decided. So that what you bind, I mean, that's our, that was already bound in heaven. What you're, listen to this. I mean, we could band together as a church and be absolutely convinced of all kinds of things, and it's not going to loose them in heaven. It's not going to bind them in heaven. God's not going to change his definition of right or wrong just to based upon the fact that we can find agreement. Sometimes we, th- we think that can happen. I mean, we, you know, whether it's about ab- abortion or sexual immorality or giving or materialism or whatever we want to do, sometimes we think we can just get together and if, if we all agree that somehow or another God's going to say, well, that's okay. You and I know that doesn't happen that way. God is never going to call what's sin, not sin, Right? So how is it that if we agree together, it's going to be bound to look? It only happens when we're in alignment with what God has already determined is right in a particular circumstance. And that happens when you and I are connected to one another, trying to be the body of Christ, working redemptively in the lives of others to honor Christ. We're connected. And when we're connected, you and I actually get to a place in community with one another where we can know the will of God. Anybody interested in that? I want you to see something else. You can not only know the will of God, but you can exercise the power of God. Look at verse 19. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I've got to tell you, I wish that really worked on our terms. You know what I mean? I'd go to Warren and I'd say, Warren, i got a deal for you. Let's agree 
that we're going to ask God so I can win the Powerball, right? And, and I'm going to win $300 million, but I'll give you half of it, right? So that you're, you're, and so we agree. Does that mean God's going to let me win the Powerball? How many yeses, how many noes? It doesn't work that way, does it? God's not prepared just to kind of give us whatever. What he's saying is that when you and I are living in community and we're trying to be the church, we're connected to one another, and his special presence is with us, that we're actually going to be able to ask things of God that are in agreement with his will already. And the stuff's going to come. We're going to be able to act with the power of God in our lives. That's the benefit, the blessing of being connected. That's why Jesus was so compelled to create his church and to bring us all into it and has this passion and all his teachers to bring us together because when you and I are together in community, God's power is able to be unleashed because we can actually agree on the things that God has already determined that he longs to do to bring blessings in our world and in our lives. One last thing. Not only can we clearly act with the will of God, not only can we become to exercise the power of God, seeing our prayers move in the kingdom, we can also, we also get to incarnate the presence of God in the world, the presence of Christ in the world. You know, th- there's a double meaning to verse 20. Not only does he say that I'm going to show up and give you a special allotment of my grace because you're going to need it, okay, to live in love with one another. He says, but when that happens, guess what? The world's going to look at you and say, I see Jesus in the way they do life together. What did Jesus say in John 13, 35? They will know a new command I give to you that you love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. When you and I love one another, when we're living together in a connected state, if you will, Jesus shows up at least to the outside world. We know he's already, at least to the outside world. It's an amazing thing. We, if we're going to allow God to biggie size our relationship with him, it's going to create a desire in us to be connected and to help other people be connected to the body of Christ. We're going to have a passion to be a part of the family, and we're going to have a passion to make strangers siblings in this spiritual community that's seeking to redeem the world and honor God. So, as I told you the last few weeks, I'm not going to try to give you revolutionary steps to take every single week, because I don't think that's productive. I do want you to have some questions that you follow through on. The backside of your sermon outlines, there's a couple things I'd like for you to think about this week. I want you to, I've listed last week's questions, so you just have them there as we're thinking about reaching and what does it really mean for us to make, to make people come into the kingdom and what does it really mean for Hope Chapel to be a part of filling up the kingdom? What does that look like to us here? But here are the questions I want you to add to that discussion this week. First of all, is just ask the question, are you connected? Are you connected? Do you have a vital clear, special role, the relationships 
to make you a part of the redemptive community. Ask yourself this question. If everybody was connected with I, like I was, how would the church work? You know, how would the ministries get done? How would the budget get befunded? How would needs get taken care of? If everybody was connected like me, what would it be like? Are, are you really connected? You know, we once had a family that came here one time, and they said, we just started looking for a church. And I said, well, what prompted that, you know? They said, well, they were going to a church of a different tradition. And they said, well, you know, the church was working on a pictorial directory. And the statement was made from the pulpit that really probably the best way to go about it was just to take a picture of the back of everybody's heads. Because that's the way, that's the only way they ever saw each other. You know, because it's like this. You sit in a pew and then you rush for the parking lot and you try, and you get home, you try to get to the, you know, the restaurant or whatever before everybody else. And, and you never see anybody. The only time you ever see them is you're looking at the back of their head while you're sitting in a chair and worship. If, if that's what connection to Hope Chapel looks like, you've got to ask the question, are you really connected? Second question, how do you help other people get connected? I mean, Christ died to build his church so that until he comes back a second time, the church can be consumed with reaching people and connecting them to a redemptive community where we can experience the will, know the will, the power, and the presence of Christ. What are we doing to turn strangers into siblings? What are you doing to do that? How can we do it better? Those are the questions. How are you helping people get connected? Are you simply saying, well, it's somebody else's job? That's why we pay Neil, <laughs> you know? So I don't have to, it doesn't work that way. Because when you and I let God biggie size our relationship with him, well, we get interested in making sure people get connected to the body. Some of you are thinking he had too much coffee this morning, so... That's what my wife told me last week, and I'm probably in the same position again. But you know, the, the, these are the things that are, should be passionate on our hearts. Let's pray together. God, I want to give you thanks today. some of the greatest spiritual experiences I've ever had have been a direct result of being connected to the church. God, that would be an experience that becomes common to all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.